The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. With us on the program today, we have Nathan Wendorf. Nathan's the senior pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, Harlingen, Texas, and he's also the vice president of Area C of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, so the southern end, I guess, of uh, Texas. And uh, LCMS is a top 10 denomination in the United States. Welcome to the program, Nathan. Great to be with you today. Thanks for the invite. So, uh, Harlingen. That's uh, yes, right down right. on the Mexican border. Yes, sir. So what's uh, what's it like to do ministry down on the border right now? Well, it is, it's a blessing. Uh, I'll say that first and foremost, it's a blessing. It's a unique place to be and to do ministry because um, it's really unlike any other place uh, in Texas or even in our, even in our great country. Um, you have a, the, the conflux of a border uh, between Texas and, and Mexico and people who have generationally been here, uh, who speak uh, at their heart language, many uh, Spanish, uh, but then a lot of English influx uh, through the years. And now here we are as a, a congregation that has been here a hundred years and uh, um, doing life on the border is is uh, what, we, what we've always done. And as we do uh, border ministry, uh, it's uh, regular ministry. A lot of people think of it uh, first and foremost when they hear the border outside of um, uh, our people in our community. Uh, they, they ask about violence. They ask about, is it safe? They ask, um, uh, how can you live there? Are, are comments I've had made to me, um, is it safe for your kids? Um, and yes, it's very safe. In fact, I look out of my congregation on a Sunday morning, I see border patrol people. I see... Uh, uh, immigration and, uh, and customs enforcement officers, police officers, and uh, uh, but yet at the same time, I see uh, one of my members who's an immigration judge uh, who day in and day out deals with uh, deciding whether people's claims of asylum or um, other claims that that they're uh, trying to process uh, to be rightly here in this in this nation, uh, to work here, to live here, um, and has to make some pretty big decisions. So uh, life is safe. That is good. Uh, and uh, life is a blessing um, to just be able to do in some incarnational ministry here uh, here on the border uh, in, in in deep South Texas. We you know people say South Texas. I used to think South Texas was was San Antonio, and then I got called down here. I'm like, oh, there is a deep South Texas as well. Uh, so it's a it's a great place to live. Great place to great place to raise my family too. I love it. So you don't have a deep South Texan accent though. I do not have a deep South Texan accent. I was uh, actually grew up in the North, in the Midwest, born in Indiana. I was born a Hoosier, and then I uh, got, by by God's grace, I was blessed to be a Buckeye, uh, too, as well, uh, growing up in Northeast Ohio. Um, and then, um, um, and part of that was because my dad's a pastor. Uh, my dad's a pastor, too. And uh, so uh, he took a call when I was two years old, and I grew up the rest of my life in, uh, in the Painesville, Ohio, uh, the eastern suburb of Cleveland. So I grew up shoveling snow, and now I shovel sand uh, with my kids on the beach, uh, uh, from the beach. So actually, I guess I grew up on both borders, uh, with the border of Canada, uh, on Lake Erie there, uh, and then now I do ministry on the border of, of Mexico. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, congregation there in uh, Harlingen. Um, uh, you know, that that area, I mean, uh, you say you've been there 100 years, uh, the congregation has. Um, yes, sir. 
and and some of the residents down there, I mean, the families have been down there since uh, probably the 1600s. It's a very yeah. old, well-developed area in some regards. So what uh, yeah. what can you tell us about serving community? Uh, you know, our church body is is, is an immigrant church from Absolutely. years ago or something. Um, does that give us a, a leg up in 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 dealing with immigrants today? I, I really think it does. If we can go back to our roots, like I look at in the hundred years of our county, I've been reading a lot of like the history of our church because it's a hundred years and we still have like the minutes from the first 10 years of the voters meetings. Uh, by the way, with those voters meetings happened almost every week because you had to decide everything. Like, should we put wallpaper up or in, or paper? Should we paper the parsonage? I, I don't know. This is an important decision. We better table this and do a lot of research and uh, get multiple bids. And uh, it just, it's things you shake your head at nowadays, but I think they shake their heads at other things we do today. But uh, the congregation really was started in you know English and German uh, German immigrants, um, the city of Harlingen itself is only uh, I think 1904 was when the city was officially incorporated as a city, and so the congregation was about uh, you know 20 years after that. But uh, mission work was happening among these German immigrants who had moved to the Rio Grande Valley because of the availability of farmland. Uh, many of them from the Midwest, and you can see you can see all, where they've all transferred in because those are in the voters' meetings minutes too uh, of all these different people, and they came to the allure. And and so this is uh, why why would they leave their farmlands up in the north and move to the south? Well, because the Rio Grande Valley had really good advertising. In fact, we call it the Rio Grande Valley. But if you come to the Rio Grande Valley, the first question you might ask is, where is the valley? There is no valley in the Rio Grande Valley. That was just all a marketing ploy uh, when the the developers who had uh, dug all these canals off the Rio Grande River, you know, making this farmland. And so they'd send these postcards out to these people to, hey, move down here, live in the valley, even this lush semi-tropic area, everything can grow. Um, They forgot to leave out the little bit about it doesn't get much rain. Uh, That's why they needed the canals. And yet sometimes those don't always provide enough water anyways. And so dryland farmers really have a hard time. So here we have these German immigrants moving into uh, the valley, uh, the Rio Grande Valley. Ministry is being done. Churches are starting to assemble around Word and Sacrament. And very quickly, reading in these minutes, uh, the, the question comes, what language do we use? And English is, is adopted very quickly, actually, uh, just seeing how in our own church here was, you know, is it actually, um, you know, so this is 1923 that the congregation officially starts. But in, in the first three to four years, um, in German, the language kind of keeps going by the wayside. The, the service moves from the morning to the afternoon to only on certain Sundays to if we have a pastor who can speak German, you know, so it just changed really quickly. In the same time, you see these churches, and I I haven't figured out when they've done this, but uh, where you have all these English now or German-speaking congregations in in Harlingen and McAllen in um, uh, Brownsville and then also um, uh, in Mercedes, um, also all these churches begin starting Spanish-speaking congregations as well. Um, So the mission was first, let's gather the Germans and the Lutherans who are already there. Um, But then you can see eventually there becomes these parishes that are are planted that become Spanish-speaking. Uh, to the people, because we're the immigrants. I mean, the German English speakers, we immigrated to the Rio Grande Valley where there were already many Spanish speakers. So uh, we're the outsiders first coming in uh, and starting these churches in both languages. And then over the course of the years, which I've been able to see the beauty of um, uh, the 10 years I've been, or 12 years I've been here in Harlingen, um, we had a Spanish speaking congregation, but now um, they decided to not, no longer be um, uh, on their own, but to rather join in together. So now we're united congregations uh, and we're seeing that happen in some of our other cities too where uh, the language barrier isn't as big as it once was. Uh, it was more of a cultural barrier, I think, that, that really created a, a lot of that separation. Um, but now there's that coming together. So seeing uh, a congregation that's uh, that's that's diverse um, 
And uh, not as diverse in the winter, though. I'll say that. That's another thing about ministry on the border is uh, our weather in the winter is wonderful. So people from Minnesota just like to hop on I-69 and come all the way down and they hit the border and they stop in Harlingen, Brownsville and the like. And they love to come down. So we have what we call winter Texans, uh, not snowbirds here. They get the distinction of winter Texans. They get that label. Uh, and so it's blessed in the, in the winter times here as we're kind of wrapping up that season right now, having a bunch of uh, people who are retired join us and live in these parks. And it's, it just creates another interesting dynamic for about four months out of the year uh, as well. Yeah, your church uh, probably blooms in size, as most churches do down there. And so it's a very different, uh, a, a different aspect of ministry for those months. Yeah, it's fun. It's really a lot of fun because, uh, you know, this was, uh, you know, some of these winter Texans, I mean, they're, they're not members of our church on the on the rolls uh, or in the early days signing the Constitution. Uh, their names won't be there, but they are, they're really part of our community. Uh, and that's the gift of technology, you know, not not just the gift of like radio, but uh, even before the pandemic, they would be on uh, watching our services, uh, sending me text messages and emails about a sermon, asking questions. Uh, and the pandemic just um, heightened that even more because as everything we've done online, they connected more in that way. And so now when they go home, they're like, okay, uh, I got two churches to, I go to. I got my church I go to in person, and then I watch you later on. And so it's just kind of a, it, it, it's fun. It, it feels, it, it's an interesting dynamic, but it's it's neat to have that relationship uh, with some of those people that in that way as well. So beyond the relationship, beyond the worship service, what's the message? What is it that people come for? You know, I think as as a Lutheran church, we just have such a, a treasure, a treasure of this gospel that uh, with no strings attached, like like Jesus really does love you. He really does forgive you. He really does care uh, about everything in your life, uh, not just your eternity, but but your day to day living. And so, as we look at how we how we make disciples and uh, live that out in our daily calling, we have a lot of uh, uh, one of my cliches that I say over and over again to our people is that you're perfectly positioned right where you are, right where God has you, where you live, work, learn learn and play to make an eternal difference in the lives of those around you. And all it takes is the courage to speak up when the opportunities pop up. You know, that cliche or something along that line, I say over and over again, because ours is an incarnational ministry. It's not just about getting them to a building or a location or a campus, but it's getting into lives and walking besides people and sharing the hope that we have. So we've got to know our story of hope, uh, why why Jesus matters individually, and to be able to be in other people's lives uh, day to day, right where you are. You don't have to, you don't even have to cross the border to do ministry where you're in your neighborhood, you're in the place that God has you in that school that you go to, in the uh, workplace you are, all those places you share that hope you have that that the grave is, I mean, this Easter season that we're in, the grave is empty. Jesus is risen indeed. And, and that is the hope we have that one day too, that that will be our story as well. And Jesus made that promise. So he's never broken one to them and so to, or to me, and he'll keep that promise. So looking at uh, what our nation has gone through and what the world has gone through with COVID and the impediment that that was to community, what would you say to somebody who's on the sidelines and hasn't gotten involved, let's say, with um, a, a worshiping community? I'd say the first and foremost, you're missing out. Uh, you may be getting the message, uh, but but we are called to do life together as a body. And, and when you're not there, when a person isn't there, you are missed. You might not feel that as much because I think uh, as a culture, and this isn't just pandemic, but we've turned into ourselves. Uh, we, 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 we become very consumeristic on so many things. And so we kind of can think, hey, if I got a good message to listen to, I can listen to it and I can learn from it. Yeah, you can. But that's not it. 
there's so much more. You're made to do life together. Your story matters because it's connected to Christ's story. And, and, and I need you as my sister in Christ to, to tell me your story and to walk beside me because I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I'm, I'm a broken sinner as well who needs that grace of God. And, and I need you to remind me that at times. Uh, I need you to speak into my life. And uh, we, do life to beget, we do life together better when we're together. Uh, we do, life is better together when we're walking with one another. And, and um uh, church is more than just what we consume and 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 hear. The word is is powerful and effective, but uh, we're made to do life together. And I think we see it beautifully in in, in celebrating communion together. Uh, I'm really looking forward to. We got an anniversary service coming up, and you know I'm just looking forward to because normally we got like three services on a on a Saturday and a Sunday, and just having everybody in one service, it's going to be uncomfortable. We'll crank the air conditioning really really low uh, and squeeze everybody in there, and uh, we won't tell the fire marshal. Uh, but but we'll be shoulder to shoulder, people to people, life on life. And, and, and that's where we're created. The more we can do community together. In fact, we're in the midst of a building uh, project right now uh, happening outside that's made uh, life a little bit hectic on our campus, but it's all about getting people to do life on life, having conversations, sharing coffee, sitting down, uh, getting to know each other's story. That matters so much because I'm encouraged by it. And 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 you, we encourage each other in these ways. And so life together is better together. Yeah. Yeah. When we see some of the things on the news about breakdowns in society, even in uh, towns and cities, you know, uh, getting back to uh, some of the things that our our forebears knew about community is is a lesson that we have to relearn. And uh, church is a wonderful, wonderful place to do that. And I think that's uh, part of it, too, is like we forgot that, you know, life together is messy. And it's hard and you're going to get your feelings hurt and you're going to need to give what we give every time we or and, and receive what you we get every time you come to worship that forgiveness of sins um that's we need that with one another and it does get messy and we can't cancel each other uh we, we, we cancel sins not people uh and that's what jesus is in the business of and we do it better together when we're when we're walking with one another and for us to learn or relearn what it means to forgive it, it seems to be a lesson that's largely forgotten in our world today yeah that's funny you so, bring that up because that's when people ask you know we have we have societal norms right when somebody asks you how are you doing today i'm fine you know which is of course i, I say it's an acrostic it means feelings inside not expressed feelings wow. inside not expressed and so when somebody asks me how am i doing today uh, especially at church i'll say i'm forgiven and it's like, oh my goodness, what do I say to that? You know, it's like, it makes you stop. It makes you think, but, but, but that's who I am. I'm a forgiven, beloved child of the most I got, not made so by anything I've done, but by my savior, Jesus. And the more I can remind myself that, cause I'll forget. So I have to, so when I train my mind to do this, it, it just creates some really great conversations. That's great. That's great. That's a good, good answer. So outside of your call in Harlingen, uh, what, what else do you do that impacts uh, people's lives? Sure. I think, yeah. Um, so what uh, I didn't really mention earlier is that, um, you know, Harlingen in the, in the Rio Grande Valley, it's the it's the lowest socioeconomics in our nation is found here in the Rio Grande Valley. The Brownsville Harlingen Metro uh, Index and then also the McAllen Edinburgh Metro Index. And then you got above us in Willacy County um, um, uh, with uh, they're in the bottom five. Uh, and so who's on the bottom? That's always the thing. In the Chamber of Commerce, we actually say um, it's cost of living. It's great. But there is some socioeconomic impact. So that means uh, access to things like mental health services is very very limited um healthcare in general is 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 hard we've got a lot of great things happening uh through especially our university system down here to elevate that Uh, but one of the things that really uh 
draws near to my heart is uh, is housing, and especially housing that's affordable. Uh, so for eight years now, I've served with uh, Habitat for Humanity of the Rio Grande Valley, and uh, currently have the privilege of serving as the, the chairperson of that board. Um, and so part of that housing crisis crunch is being able to put people into homes that they can afford at 0% interest, and being able to realize that if I can get a family into a home, uh, I'm not just uh, impacting their living. Usually they're making, I can get them out of an apartment or a colonial, uh, and now all of a sudden they're paying less than what they used to. So they got more money available for things like healthcare and, and the like. Uh, but then also it's changing generationally. Um, home ownership is a great indicator towards better education for their children, uh, more likely to go off to college, more likely to be able to have a, a stable job upon graduation from high school. Um, and so that's a, a big thing that I, that I spend a, a lot of time with is uh, serving, with, uh, serving with Habitat for Humanity and, and that. And, and then in addition to that, also serving with our Texas district uh, as, a, as an area vice president. My, I was joking, my area is kind of interesting because it starts north of Austin and it goes all the way down to, to Brownsville uh, as well, bringing in Corpus Christi and everything like that. So this Sunday, I got an ordination coming up. And so I'll be able to do worship this morning in my, in, in my congregation. And then I'll jump to the airport and take a direct flight to Austin and do an ordination and then take a flight back home at night. So God bless air transportation. Because looking at the long time ago when this area started with um, uh, missionaries that would do a circuit rider thing. And uh, in fact, I, I found a letter from my congregation to the mission board of the Texas district saying, hey, don't make our pastors serve more than one place. We have too much growth growing on. We're the fastest growing area. We don't make our pastors serve two congregations. It'll impact our growth uh, because it takes too long to get to there. So uh, God bless our technology enabled to, to uh, do this job as well as that as that vice president in the installations and ordinations and stuff. Yeah. So how does that impact um, serving people? You know, when you're dividing your time between being a pastor of a church and uh, serving, well, how many people are in that area from Austin all the way down to uh, Harlingen? Uh, you know, how many, yeah, how many congregations? I think it's about 125 um, and new ones starting all the time. I'm like, we just planted a congregation here that just uh, is celebrating its uh, second anniversary coming up here uh, as well. Uh, so we got new congregations coming on board, which is exciting to see new ministry starts and, and the like. Um, but I'm blessed that I'm surrounded by a great team, both with uh, staff. I have an associate pastor, Mauricio Franco, who is a native of Colombia. Uh, so that's really helpful with some incarnational ministry, not just being able to speak Spanish, but know the culture a little bit better. Um, and then I also have uh, blessed to have a uh, director of Christian education on our team. And then in addition, we have just great uh, volunteers um, and um, we try not to make the ministry pastor centric uh, focus, like it's only what the pastor can do, but uh, we really believe there's a priesthood of all believers. Uh, and so using the gifts that God has given uh, our congregation to do that and to be able to do that and technology is great. So the travel isn't always that bad, it just goes in seasons. Um, so meetings over Zoom are, are a blessing. Uh, they're not as good as in person, uh, you know, cause you miss that interaction, but they do allow you to transmit at least information and, and uh, accomplish some things that don't require you to, to be gone. Yeah, well, you're in deep South Texas. I'm in deep East Texas, and our engineer is over in uh, the northwest of Houston. So it it really helps us to um, uh, span the geography and uh, uh, continue to make those contacts. Well, uh, listen, we'll come back to our guests in just a moment. Uh, I'd like to let our listeners know that there is only one ELM Houston, the uh, producer of this radio program, Evangelical Life Ministries. And uh, I'd like to invite you to visit our 
program's website at elmhouston.org. You can read more about us. You can find links, shortcuts to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube accounts. You can also donate to support our work. All of our on-the-air hosts are volunteers, so you can know that your dollars go far to help us purchase radio airtime. Um, we'd strive to have a wide variety of interviews with people who are creatively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at that intersection of where faith meets life. You can write us also at ELM Houston, P.O. Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410. Now back to our guest. Nathan, talking about, um, you know, this this um, anniversary that your congregation is going to have here, 100 years in one place, uh, what do you think has changed? And what stayed the same in those hundred years? Yeah, the, well, the mission stayed the same. I mean, it's all about Jesus, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them everything that Christ has commanded us. I mean, that mission, it clearly has stayed, changed, stayed the same. The language has, has changed uh, from being a German-English congregation to now being an English-Spanish congregation. Um, I, I look at the history, too, that uh, early on in this in this congregation, there was a desire, uh, there was a recognition that, that there needed to be growth, that there needed to be more churches in the Rio Grande Valley. And so they desired and had the pastor's um, effort and energy Energy to plant a congregation in Raymondville, north of us, about about 30 miles. Um, and that congregation was planted and, and eventually became its own uh, independent congregation as well. And then I look at what just recently in the last uh, six years now, it's been uh, a moving ministry of raising up new workers for the mission field and recognizing we need new ch plants, church plants in other growing communities. Uh, the community of Los Fresnos is one of the fastest growing communities down here. Uh, people, young families moving there, especially out of the Brownsville area or coming over the border um, as times have changed and it's harder for, for uh, border crossings to happen as easily as they used to. And so families that used to maybe send their kids to school here in the States, but lived in Mexico, uh, many of them have moved permanently as, as residents here uh, to the United States. And so a lot, we've seen some growth, especially in Los Fresnos community uh, from some of that. And we recognize that. And at the same time, God was raising up uh, a man by the name of Chad Bresson, who got who wasn't a lifelong Lutheran. He, he did grow up in the church, grew up in, uh, in a Reformed background. And uh, over the course of conversations, um, having some lunch with him and breakfast with him and uh, hearing his story of faith. And I said, I remember the first time I met him, I said, I don't know that I've ever sat down at a, at a breakfast with a with a person who's visited our church. And uh, the very first thing I told you to do is to read the book of Concord. But I'm telling you to read the book of Concord, because what you're saying is a lot of things we've we've been talking about for about 500 years uh, or so. And uh, he, he did it and became uh, part of our fellowship, became a member of our congregation and uh, recently completed uh, his pathway towards ordination in a specific ministry pastor formation. And in that same time, uh, we brought him on board on our team and doing his vicarage and then planting this new church uh, because people in Los Fresnos needed to hear about Jesus uh, in an incarnational way. Um, we could do it from here. Yes, we could tell them to drive, but it makes a whole big difference when you have someone who lives in that community day in and day out, who's showing Jesus at the rotary meetings, who's showing up at the livestock uh, play, the, the livestock grounds uh, for the rodeos and handing out waters at the football games and um, food food uh, boxes uh, during the pandemic. And that makes a huge difference. And so uh, that new church has started and it's, and it's a blessing. And my, my, my best day at that church was when I went one day, I was filling in for Chad and I didn't know half the people there. And I'm like, Yes, I don't know half of you. This makes me excited because you're not just part of the team that helped start it uh, out of St. Paul and other places uh, in Harlingen, but you are new people who have been reached by Jesus, who were disconnected from the church, and now you've got connected to a community of faith that's growing and vibrant. And yeah, the growth is slow, 
that's okay. Uh, I look back in my history. In fact, I, I, I messaged Chad last night. I found out, hey, Chad, did you know it took this congregation 10 years to become self-sufficient for them to say, we're going to call our own pastor now. We don't need a mission board pastor. We're going to do it on our own. I said, so you're only two two years into it and you guys are doing really great compared to what we did. So uh, way to go. And so I think as we continue into our 100th anniversary, um, we're, we're gonna just going to keep talking about Jesus and Jesus in an incarnational way in people's lives where they live, work, learn, and play. Um, and speaking up when the opportunities pop up of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm really excited. We've got uh, President, uh, former President Emeritus of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who is a grandson of our congregation. Uh, his granddad, uh, uh, President Kieschnick's uh, granddad, was uh, was almost a charter member of our congregation. Actually, he transferred in from San Antonio. I found the records in the old minutes. And so uh, Dr. Kieschnick and his beautiful wife, Terry, will be with us this weekend to share the word. And then we'll follow that next weekend with uh, President Newman of the Texas District, uh, helping us celebrate that 100th anniversary with a special worship service as well. So exciting times in uh, what God has given us to do. Exciting times in the lives of the people of faith down in South Texas. We've been speaking with uh, senior uh, Pastor uh, Nathan Wendorf, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Harlingen. He's also a Vice President of our Texas District. Thank you for sharing what's going on and uh, your excitement for the ministry and hopefully connecting more people to um, worshiping communities there in South Texas and uh, uh, throughout our listening area. Join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.